Hello and welcome to the Irish Fire Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Houghton. I'm an entrepreneur, investor, and financial independence enthusiast, sharing my financial freedom journey. Stay tuned and welcome aboard. I hope you are doing well. So in today's episode, I thought it might be nice to answer some of the user questions that I get in podcast format. I used to do this back in 2021, so it's been a while since I've done this. The usual disclaimer here, guys, I am not a financial advisor. I'm just a dude on the internet that claims to know a lot about this stuff. So always do your own research, and particularly when I'm trying to give tax advice or investment advice, treat it as a step in a direction, but do confirm with a professional if you need to. All right, so here we go. The first question is from Aoife, and Aoife is originally from Newcastle West, and she's living in Massey in Auckland, which Aoife isn't too far from where I grew up in Howick in Auckland. She's planning to come back to Ireland at some point in the near future, and she's basically asked, what is the best broker to adopt if you are in Ireland? So yeah, again, I'm probably not the best person to answer this one because I actually don't own any shares in my own name personally. They are all within a pension, but the usual culprits to go to there are DeGero and Interactive Brokers. However, if you are trading just a little bit or have a fairly small brokerage account, then DeGero is probably your best place to go. And just remember to watch out for those ETFs. They are taxed fairly inefficiently in Ireland. So I will pop a link to the chat with Andrew Driver talking about investment trusts, which are typically the recommended way to buy equities or shares in an Irish context. All right, so the next question here is from Jack. He says, hi, Michael, been loving the show, been trying to chase financial independence for a while now. If there was two pieces of advice that you would give somebody starting out, what would that be? Definitely a tricky one, Jack, but for me, there's two things that I think are the core to trying to achieve financial independence, particularly in Ireland. So the first one is focus on income, and the second one is ensure that your expenses are less than the high tax rate here in Ireland. So what I mean by that is firstly, we wanna be focusing and putting our primary efforts to worrying about income to try and boost that as best we can. Investments and expenses are the other things that we need to worry about, but try and focus on increasing that income through things like job switching, second jobs, and so on. And then on the expenses front, just try and get your expenses under control. But as long as they're under that tax cutoff rate, I think we're in a fairly happy place. As an aside, I recently started paying myself above that tax cutoff rate because I've just been trying to pay down some of the personal loan debt that we've taken on recently just because interest rates have been going higher. And truthfully, it's been exhausting looking at the payslip and seeing such a huge tax bill come up that we've actually finally started to settle back to where we used to be and go back to that tax cutoff rate because it's just not worth the effort. It really is exhausting seeing all of that money going out in tax when you're only getting half. So that would be my two big things to try and get yourself on the right path towards financial independence here in Ireland. All right, and then we've got another one here from Jonathan that is asking about 
legal tax deductions when you have your own company. And that's an episode that I did way back towards the middle of 2019. So I'm delighted to see some of those older episodes are still getting a little bit of coverage every now and then. And he's basically just asking in relation to travel expenses and mileage and subsidence. So effectively, Ireland has this really interesting thing that you can do when it comes to travel expenses if you do have your own company or your own business, whereby if you're traveling for work or for business that you can claim either the actual cost or you can claim these special subsidence rates. And uh, I would typically recommend claiming the actual subsidence rates because they're typically better. They're based on these civil servant rates. So again, I'll link this in the show notes to the actual article. So he, first of all, he asked, do I need to keep receipts of the actual expenses if you are claiming those rates? And truthfully, I have no idea. However, my advice would be to always keep receipts if you have them, if to do nothing else to at least prove that you actually did make that trip. And he then asks about the reduce rate. And again, I almost forgot about this, but my understanding from talking to my own accountant was that if you do stay somewhere and it might be a friend's house or whatnot, and there's actually no cost occurred, that you can still claim the reduced rate. So again, it's something that my accountant mentioned to me at one stage, these things do change and they could have easily changed over the last four years. But I would offer two pieces of advice. Firstly, if you need to, I'll link in the show notes to a fairly good tax advisor that I've used in the past. It has been a number of years since I've had to use them, but they have managed to offer me good advice to make sure that I'm following the the law to the letter. And secondly, is that the tax system here in Ireland is a self-administered tax system, meaning that it's up to us to interpret the tax laws and apply them as best that we can. So we need to somewhat apply common sense at times. So my advice here would be if you're traveling and there's actual costs occurred and it's a legitimate trip for business expenses, and let's say you are staying at somebody's house, then put down the reduced rate, check it with your accountant at the end of the financial year. My accountant was certainly happy when I did that. In my case, it was a trip to Australia for business that I was down there for 10 days and the business paid for the accommodation, but I was still able to claim the reduced rate. So yeah, again, just claim it, keep expenses, check it with your accountant at the, at the end of the year. If you're not happy with their answer, then get a second opinion because they do make mistakes as well. And remember that accountants are conservative. They don't want to be putting extra work on themselves. And remember, it's not their money that they're saving when they make a suggestion. So do push for them on it if you can. All right, and the final question today is from Patrick, who had some feedback on the investment property episode that I released on the last episode. He says, I've been thinking for a long time about an investment property. You mentioned having a 30% deposit ready to go. I don't have that. However, could we access cash by remortgaging our home? So the simple answer to that, Patrick, is yes, you could. And the best advice there would be to reach out to my own broker, Laura. I did an interview with her a couple of episodes back, so I'll certainly share that in the show notes, and that would be worth having a listen to. However, he also gives a couple of other bits of information. He says, is it wise to remortgage considering we're a fixed rate for two and a half more years, and we're currently fixed at 2%? Well, Patrick, we're actually in a very similar situation. We're fixed at 2.4% on our own home for another two and a bit years as well. And my advice is hang on to that as long as you can. Do not give that up for anything. You only need to recalculate what your mortgage will be at the much higher interest rates when that fixed term ends to realize that you have an absolute bargain right now. Secretly, my biggest concern right now in terms of our ability to retire in the next three to four years is the fact that interest rates are a poison chalice when it comes to planning for early retirement. 
simply because our monthly mortgage payment at the moment is around 630 euros per month and the thought of coming off that fixed repayment and having an interest rate of two or three times higher means it will boost our monthly mortgage payment up significantly. So it could be a major spanner in the works for us when it comes to trying to plan for early retirement. It's an interesting one. And recently I have been thinking a lot about potentially just jumping into semi-retirement. And truthfully and ironically, I could be doing that right now. Gee whiz, wouldn't it be great to be 39 and only working, say, 15 to 20 hours per week? Then the other side of me says, keep going. Life is pretty good. You found a nice work-life balance. And we may as well keep progressing while things are going well. So it's hard to find that balance and it's a constant thing in my head of which one should I do. And truthfully, one of the problems that we have is that by taking on all of these investment properties, we've taken on a mortgage for each of them to the point that we now have five different mortgages for the five properties that we own, the four investment properties and the one property that we own personally. So there is a concern that if interest rates do continue to go up or if there's a downturn or if tenants stop being able to pay rent, that we need to be able to continue to have a way to fund those mortgages. And if we were to drop down to working semi-retired or working part-time that we wouldn't have the income to cover those mortgages in the event that there's a problem. You see, it's quite easy at the moment. We're saving around 5,000 euros per month knowing that even if every property fell into a problem where the tenants stopped paying, we could still afford to cover all of the mortgages from that 5,000 euros per month. So it is something that we do think about a lot when it comes to potentially dropping back down to part-time work. But back to the question at hand, for me, I wouldn't be going anywhere near trying to refix and moving away from that 2%. I'd let that ride for as long as you can. And maybe you could look into it in two years time. However, my gut feeling says that what we were able to do back in 220, which was refinance our house to purchase an investment property, or at least move out of our old house and turning that into an investment property, it wouldn't be as easy to do today. In fact, it would be nearly impossible to do today because the interest rates are so much higher. The stress testing simply wouldn't work. So my advice in this one is maybe just put it to bed for a bit and maybe plan to have some money to pay down that mortgage in a couple of years when the fixed rate ends because that is going to be quite a big hit to your monthly expenses so just keep that in mind. He also asks will banks lend money for a second home with the remortgage money or do they need actual savings? So the trick here is that they don't need actual savings. You might find that you do need the 10%. However, what they're really going to be looking for is your ability to pay a higher mortgage. You see, when you remortgage, your new mortgage is going to be higher because you're taking equity from your current home and effectively adding that onto your mortgage. So you need to be able to show that you can afford it. In our case, back in 2020, we got exceptionally lucky because our bank was happy to take our voluntary pension payments as proof of savings. And I don't necessarily know if every bank would do that. So again, check it out with your broker. But all of this stuff, I would be proceeding with extreme caution at the moment based on the fact that interest rates are so high. He then has another couple of quick questions. So he said, assuming that an investment property was 250,000 euros and there was a 30% deposit of 75,000. What other costs are there to consider? Well, I can tell you first and foremost, there is definitely a few. So firstly, obviously your legal costs are going to be fairly substantial and you will find when you have an investment property, there's usually a second solicitor to pay, the bank solicitor. So you'll find that the legal fees can run quite high. Stamp duty as well, which runs in at about 1%, local property tax and all these other costs that come up 
insurance that you'll need to pay for in advance. So you might be looking at 400 euros for an insurance policy. You're going to have to furnish a house when you get in there. It's pretty unlikely the house that you buy is going to be turnkey. So there's going to be some cost in terms of getting that going. You're also going to have to pay a valuation and an engineering fee. So the costs are, to be honest, fairly significant. I would say it would be very, very unlikely that 75 grand would do it because you'll also find that a 30% deposit won't cut the mustard at the moment because of those higher interest rates. So I would actually expect that you might need well closer to 100,000 euros to be able to pull off that deal. So again, this stuff is not to be done lightly. We actually found an interesting spot for two of our investment properties during the week when it was reported that the rent pressure zone has actually been applied to two of the properties that were originally not inside the rent pressure zone. So there's always these things that are coming and going of property. And truthfully, the deals seem to continually be getting worse and worse. We're quite content in the sense that we've now got the properties that we need and that we don't have to go out trying to continually find them. Because while it may not seem a big deal that the whole of Limerick County is now under the rent pressure zone, what that means is that those properties that are outside or those properties that haven't been rented before are now going to have even more competition than before. So the whole process continues to get harder and harder. Again, I'm not saying that property is a bad investment. I think it's a great investment. It's certainly something that you do need to be prepared for and you need to be willing to put the work in. But at the same time, I wouldn't be stepping into it lightly because it can be difficult to find that right deal. The last thing that he asks is, is there a cheat sheet to consider when purchasing a second home? So probably the best idea is listen back on that episode again that I released in the last episode. I felt like I covered a good amount of investing in property, but truthfully, there's no cheating here. It's going to be a matter of putting the time in and learning a little bit from your mistakes, hopefully not too much, but also just getting a feel for it. It takes a lot of time. And I stressed it enough, you might look at 100 properties online. Of those 100, you might look at 10. Of those 10, you might put an offer in on three or four of them. And of those, you might only get accepted. You might be lucky to win one of them. It really is a long-term game and it can take a long time to find the right deal. So certainly do not be in a hurry with it. If it's something that you're passionate about, definitely do that. But at the same time, just because I've done that, it doesn't mean that that needs to be the path for everybody. Property has worked for us so far, but at the same time, it can be a real headache at times. So I would certainly consider all options. And I think it's really not a case that property is the best investment. It's more the case that sometimes the alternatives aren't great either. So even if you look at, say, my pension performance compared to the property portfolio, well, the properties have returned five times what the pension has returned and I've been investing in the pension longer. So it's one of those things where it can be a bit frustrating at times because we're just not getting the performance from the market that we should, yet with the power of leverage through property, we're able to get a fairly solid return, albeit for a lot more work. So I think for a lot of us, it might be a matter of saying, okay, pension and shares might be a lower return, but at least it doesn't come with all the stress and hassle of dealing with tenants and dealing with property maintenance and so on. So certainly just keep all of that in mind. All right, guys, I've actually really enjoyed recording this episode. So if you do have any questions, by all means, drop me an email at michaelatfirepodcast.e and I'm always happy to try and help answer them. And as always, guys, I look forward to catching you on the next episode. <laughs>